Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. So if you have your Bible, we're going to read from Luke chapter 7. We read it this morning, so if some of you were here, but we're going to read it again. And so if you do have a Bible with you uh, on your smartphone or your tablet or, like me, uh, an actual hard copy, just turn up that and that'll be great. I think there's something very powerful about reading the Bible and hearing the Bible at the same time. It's a very powerful thing. So Luke chapter 7, verse 36, and it says this, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. A denarius was the equivalent to a, a day's wages, so I'll give you an idea of the cost. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears. And wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? But Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amazing story. Uh, the, oh, gone off. Is it me? With the camera? Okay, anyway, I'll keep going. I've got it on. No, no, it's fine. It's just, uh, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to. I'll just carry on. Okay. So listen, uh, the word extravagant, the English word extravagant that we use um, actually comes from a Latin word, extravagare. And it's, the breakdown of that word is really very interesting. Extra, which means outside of, and vagare, which means to wander or to roam. So when you put, oh, we've got it now. So when we put those two words together, the word extravagant in its original form means to wander outside of or beyond. 
In other words, it's this idea that when you're extravagant, you're making a deliberate decision to go outside of what's normally expected. All right? So, so I, I, I may be expected to go so far, and even to go that far, people go, that's great, well done. But extravagant says, I'm only expected to go this far, but I'm going to go further. I'm going to go further than people expect me to go. I'm going to go further than even uh, it's demanded that I go. I'm going to go further because I want to show the object of, of my world. I want to show them or I want to show it or whatever it is. I want to show them how much they mean to me, how much this means to me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go beyond the normal expected so that they really see how much I value them. And if there's a word that can describe this story, it's that. The woman goes way outside the lines. She goes way beyond what would be expected socially, culturally, and certainly even it could be argued religiously. She goes way beyond what anyone in that room expected her to do, for sure, Uh, It may or may not have been a shock to Jesus, but it was certainly a shock to everybody else. She goes way over the line, and she is being profoundly extravagant. And I love this idea that the woman just doesn't do enough. She does way more than enough. She doesn't just do what's expected. She does more than is expected. Do you know why I love that? I think that reflects the nature of God. I think that's at the very heart of the gospel. Here's what the Bible says in John chapter 1. It says that the Word, Jesus, or at least the Son of God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't sound like it on a Sunday afternoon, but that is the most extravagant thing God has ever done. In fact, it had never been done before. And one of the challenges Jesus had on earth was people couldn't get their head round that extravagance. They couldn't work out that God could be in flesh. They couldn't work out that actually this was the Son of God in bodily form on the earth, looking and sounding like a normal human being, and yet he was here to to save the world. And 2,000 years later, people still struggle with that idea. That actually, that's a preposterous idea. It's, it's, It's so wild, it's either absolutely true or it's absolutely crazy. And actually, John chapter 1, when it says, thus the word became flesh, is the embodiment, not only of God's plan, but of God's extent of his extravagance to you. God loved you so much that he went outside the lines. No one had ever done this before. No one expected God to do this. No one even, could I say, wanted God to do it this way. But God decided to do it because he loved me and you. And so at the very heart of the gospel is this extravagant transaction. I'm here today because the word became flesh. I love how the message version of the Bible puts it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But it says he moved into the neighborhood. So I love the idea of of God becoming flesh and moving next door to me. You know, what an incredible concept that God would move 
into my neighborhood, that God would move into my world. And that moving into humanity, and that moving into humanity to save humanity, is the very embodiment of extravagance. So you're here today. Can I say as carefully as possible, some of you are literally physically here today because of God's extravagance. That, that, that not only are you alive spiritually today because of God's extravagance, some of you are probably alive physically today. If it hadn't have been for Jesus changing your life, you might actually be dead today. Is that, is, that for, is, that, is that fair? I think it's fair of my life. I think Jesus stepped into my world, in the world that I lived in, the world that I was surrounded by, and I think his grace literally gave me an other life. So, so, so that extravagance that has come to us is, is looking for this glorious response in kind. God wants us, his people, to understand that he stepped out over the line for us. And one of the things to repeat this morning that gets his attention is when we step over the line for him. Anybody can do just enough. Just enough doesn't turn anybody's head usually. I mean, just enough's good. Let's have just, I would rather have just enough than not enough. All right, are you with me? So I'd rather have someone do just enough than not enough. So, so that's good. So don't let me put you off doing just enough. But, but just enough, anybody can do just enough. Extravagance, however, is an intentional decision to do more than just enough. And to demonstrate to God what he means to us. And that's at the heart of this idea. It's not about legalism. It's not about law. It's not about rules. It's about heart, attitude, spirit, and grace. It's about responding to the extravagance of God by saying, how can I step over the line for him? What an incredible idea. Now I want to encourage you, if you will just have the courage to open yourself up to that idea that in response to him stepping over the line, me and you are looking at our lives, our ordinary everyday lives, and saying, Lord, how could I step over the line for you? What's in your heart that you would love me to give to you? And actually, I believe that touches the heart of God. It was my, my daughter's birthday yesterday, and uh, we, we, we all gathered around in, in the garden last night before we had dinner, and we, we, we gave her presents. She loves presents. Well, what woman doesn't? <laughs> Let's be honest. And she absolutely loves presents. She was excited. And, but Dawn and I left a certain present. I don't want to tell you what it was. It would be imprudent to do that. But we left a certain present for her to the end. She was definitely not expecting this. This was not on her list. But, uh, uh, and she opened it up and she literally started to cry. It's a great moment. It's great to see a woman cry, isn't it? Come on. Love, yeah, for the right reason, John, of course. Of course, for the right reason, yes. Um, And actually, as she started to cry, I filled up. I just filled up when I saw her reaction to this gift that we had. Because she wasn't expecting it. But you know what? I and Dawn knew that gift would hit the mark. Now, can I just say again, without going into what it was, for Dawn and I to give her that gift, we had to cross a line. Well, actually three or four. Uh, but, but we had to cross a line. It was not a normal birthday gift. But it was the right gift at this moment. Now, she won't get that next year. 
Elena, if you're listening to this on podcast, darling, let me just repeat that. You won't get this next year. Okay. But, but it was the right moment to do that yesterday. And the response was it just overwhelmed her, touched her, touched her very heart. And, and I would say to you, it wasn't just the fact that she received that gift. It was because of what it meant to her and what she knew it cost us. All right? Now, I don't want to over-sentimentalize this, but I think that's the sort of same stuff that's kicking around with God. He doesn't just want us to obey Him and tick the boxes. He wants us to catch what He wants and let that soul live inside us that we go, this is what He wants, so I'll step over the line to give it to Him. And I think when we step over lines, it even cost us, literally, physically, materially even, or in time, or in energy, or in effort, or in change, when we step over lines like that, knowing this is expensive, I think, I think it touches him. I think he responds to that. I think that's him responding to the very essence of who he is, because he's that sort of God. He's a stepping over the line sort of God. So when human beings learn to step over the line, he goes, come on. That looks just like me. <laughs> that looks just like me. And, that's the, and I think the Christian community should be the most extravagant community on the planet. Because we, like no other community, have understood the stepping over the line God. And what he has done for us. And if me and you grasp that, then extravagance will never be an issue. It'll be a new normal. Amen? A new normal. Because what happened that night had never been done before. Just like Jesus stepping into human flesh had never been done before. A brand new thing. A brand new stepping over the line moment. Never been done before. This has never been done before. There's a similar story, but that happens at the end of Jesus' life. No one had ever done this before. The woman couldn't Google this and think, right, what could I do that looks extravagant? This is a brand new, original, creative, innovative moment that's coming out of her. And it's coming out of her because she's caught him. And when you catch him, stuff will come out of you that's original innovative, unique, dynamic, and life-changing. At least that's what I believe. Is that okay? So the question, oh, it's gone again. So the question I want to ask is this, okay? What caused this woman to step over these lines? So we talked about her intentionality this morning, but what caused her to take that intentionality into real action? What caused that? And, and if you like to apply that to us, what causes sort of us, what could help me and you in the 21st century to step across? Okay, we're back on. All right. So, uh, so oh, no, I tell you what, let's just forget it. Um, so so I, I can just work without it. We'll just keep going. All right. So what causes me and you to step over the line, what caused her to step over the line. So I want to look at some principles from the story that I think inspired her in her intention and hopefully will inspire you. Here's the first principle I want you to get. Uh, We step over the line and become extravagant when we move from 
information to revelation. When you move from information to revelation, we begin potentially, theoretically, the journey of extravagance. It's amazing that night that you have Simon, the host, and you have the woman who ministers to Jesus. They treat Jesus in completely different ways. They treat them in completely different ways. Why? Okay, we're back on. Because they see Jesus in two completely different ways. Simon saw Jesus as a rabbi, a teacher, and with that, an opponent, whereas the woman saw Jesus as a savior. And it's clear from the story, although Simon thinks she's still a sinner, it's clear from the text, absolutely clear, both in the original and even in the flow of the context, that this woman has already been forgiven when she turns up. She's not turning up to get forgiveness. She has been forgiven. So she's had a previous experience with Jesus where she's been forgiven. Now she's shown up as one who has been forgiven and she's lavishing herself on him. So you get two people treating Jesus in completely different ways because they see Jesus in a different way. And how you see Jesus will determine whether we cross lines or not. If you see Jesus informationally, you'll do just enough. If you see Jesus revelatory, if you see him for yourself with your spiritual eyes, then that's the fuel, that's the basis that will help us to step over the line. So you're not seeing Jesus because Phil sees Jesus and he's explaining Jesus to you. All right, that's Jesus. No, no, you're seeing Jesus for yourself. And when we see Jesus for ourselves, everything changes. I I was in Israel uh, a a few years ago, had a brilliant guide, a very, very knowledgeable man, uh, Jewish man, and uh, he said something striking on our tour. He said, uh, Jesus is my rabbi, but not my God. I thought, I'm going to have a chat with you on that later on. We're going to have a wee chat. And so people were just very respectful and listening to him. Afterwards, I grabbed him. We sat down over dinner, and I said, come on, let's get to this. Come on. You're a Jewish person. I'm an Irish person. We were born arguing. Let's do this together. Come on. And so we went for it. We had a fantastic conversation. His stumbling block was Jesus as God. He thought Jesus was a brilliant teacher, a brilliant rabbi, a phenomenal exponent of the Torah. That's what he said to me. But he could not accept Jesus as God. And that's where the problem was. So, so... Uh, At an informational level, he could accept the teaching of Jesus and say, that's a really good idea, but felt no compulsion to respond to it because Jesus was just another teacher of teachers. But you see, for me, the difference is he's not just a really clever rabbi. He is the son of God. Therefore, if I believe he's the son of God, I have no option. I have to obey. I have to do what he wants. It's it's not like, well, okay, let me take issue with you on your theology. No, he's the son of God, not just a clever theologian. So, So my friend in Israel saw him as a rabbi and went so far but no further. I saw him as savior and went all the way. And how you see determines what you do. Yeah, Because your seeing comes out of your belief system. Does that that make sense? Okay. I, I, I worked at a school 
uh, for a little while to support myself in, in the early years of ministry. And uh, I was a special needs uh, teaching assistant, so I would literally assist children who had particular needs on the spectrum to stay in mainstream education. So I was like their buddy. And we, I would shadow them around. Sometimes they liked the shadow and sometimes they didn't. You know, they tried to lose the shadow quite often. Um, uh, but I'm an Irishman, so I'm quite tenacious. So I never lost a student, though they tried. And last two periods on a Thursday was science. And it was like, it was like purgatory, really. It was really difficult um, because the kids didn't want to be there. The teacher wasn't really enjoying it all that much. And I was caught meeting the sandwich. I'm like the, I'm like the odd adult in the room trying to help these kids. And uh, uh, it, to, to, to sort of pass the time, uh, and it was literally that idea, the teacher put on a DVD of smoking uh, because he knew a lots of these kids were smoking. So he put on this health education DVD. Uh, and of course, and then he left the room while this DVD was on. Now, this DVD was horrific. It was like triple X rated. It was the stuff they were showing on the screen was just blow your brains out. You'd never, you'd never go near a cigarette ever again, never mind smoke one. It was absolutely incredible. Finished off with this guy on the screen literally talking out of a hole in his throat because cancer had taken the whole of his voice. I mean, it was horrible. And I'm like glued to the screen. <laughs> I look around. All the kids are messing around. In fact, some of them have the audacity to get their cigarettes out of their bag and sort of, you know, pretending to light up in the room. I can't believe it. This, there's like horror show on the screen and they're just completely ignoring it. A, a, few, a few months ago, I was in Hull and I was ministering. I met a lady in her mid-40s. She had smoked 40 cigarettes a day from being in her mid-teens. She went to the doctor with some health issues. Long story short, the doctor said, you've got those health issues because of smoking. If you don't stop smoking, you're going to die. Right? And that's how brutal it was. She walked out of the doctor's surgery, quit. Went from 40 cigarettes a day to zero. Quit. And I said to her, what, what was it that did it? She said, it was what he told me I was going to die. That's it. So, do you know what? That illustrates this issue. You see, the children in the classroom, the DVD was information. Smoking can give you cancer. Yeah, but other people die of cancer. Not me. I'm immortal. I'm 16. I'm going to live forever. My granny smokes 948 cigarettes a day, and she's still alive, and she's 95. And, you know, so, so somebody's almost going to play that card. You see, when you're 16, uh, smoking, the dangerous way, it's just information on the screen. It doesn't mean anything because you're immortal at 16. Do you know what I mean? But when you're in your mid-40s and the doctor tells you, uh, it's smoking that's doing that. Suddenly, it's real to you. It's not information now. It's revelation. It has become real to you. And, and here's the challenge, right? Um, uh, here's what I've discovered. Information produces a have-to mentality in people. Whereas, revelation produces a want-to mentality. When you look at the story, there's no have-to going on here. It's not like she's turning up with a face on. Okay, Jesus, let's get this over with. Okay? It's, there's no have to here. This is unbridled passion. In fact, it's so passionate, it's making everybody in the room slightly uncomfortable and awkward. Why? Because there's no have to here. This is want to. Why? Why is it want to? Because she sees 
him as something more than rabbi. She sees him as saviour. And here's what I've discovered. Can I say this in the context of our lifestyle of worship? Here's what I've discovered. I cannot worship from another's wonder. That's, that's the problem. So, so I can stand in church and have these wonderful people stand up here and say, come on, let's worship Jesus. But here's the problem. If I don't see Jesus, it's really hard to... Now, I can sing along the song, but, but in order to worship, I've got to see what they're talking about. I've got to see the Jesus they're putting on the screen for me. It's got to become a reality for me, not simply information. I've discovered this, that information informs, but it's revelation that transforms. And what you see in the actions of this woman are not, this is not religiousness. This is not, she's not playing out a religious playbook. This is innovative, creative, unique brand new. that No one has ever seen this before. Why? Because it's not coming out of a playbook. It's coming out of a heart. It's not coming out of information. It's coming out of revelation. I, I, I want to encourage you. If you're a follower of Jesus, one of the prayers I want to urge you to pray every day is open my eyes that I may see you. So John, I've been a Christian 30 years. Yeah, join the club. So have I. I became a Christian at eight. I'm now 50. And yet every day I pick up the word of God. You can believe this or believe it not. Every day I pick up the word and I recite the Psalms. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things from your law. I I want to not just see with my brain. I want to see with the eye of faith. Because it's the eye of faith that transforms. It's the eye, it's seeing by faith that changes me from a have to to a want to. That changes me from just enough to, come on, let's go. Let's go platinum on this. Let's push it out there. Let's do something together. Does that make sense? And, and if you're struggling to see the Jesus that these guys are getting excited about, one of the most amazing prayers you can pray is, Lord, will you open my eyes? Because I don't just want to know the Jesus of a painting or the Jesus of a book. I want to know the Savior. I want to see him. And when I see him, everything will change. Make sense? Okay, here's the second thing really quickly. Uh, that I think the second principle that kicks off here. Uh, we, we, we cross the line into extravagance when secondly, am I, oh, great, great. Disappeared there. There we are. When our expectations are not framed by the experiences of others. That night you have the clash of expectations and the clash of experiences. Uh, that night Simon has no expectation of Jesus other than a theological opponent and therefore his experience is a very difficult one that night. She has a, an expectation that Jesus is the Savior And her experience is still being talked about 2,000 years later. Amazing idea, isn't it? That something that uh, a nameless woman who never speaks in the story is still being talked about today, 2,000 years ago, uh, 2,000 years later. It's a remarkable, remarkable idea. Uh, And and what's clashing here are both expectations and experiences. I, 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 I love to travel. 
uh, and I've had the privilege of traveling not, all over, not only all over this wonderful uh, group of uh, nations of ours in the United Kingdom, but all over the world. And uh, it's amazing the places I've seen and uh, unbelievable. If you'd have told me as a child, I would have got to see some of the places I've got to see. I wouldn't have believed you. I would have thought you were crackers. And, and yet God has been so incredibly good to me. And I was going to one particular nation. I, I don't want to mention a nation, but it was a wee bit edgy in terms of security. And I told a friend that I was going on this trip. And this friend proceeded to tell me how horrible it was going to be. They told me that the weather is really oppressively hot and humid. They told me that I'll probably be followed by secret service from the minute I enter the country right through. The hotel is probably government-owned, though it looks like a mainstream hotel. And there's probably cameras in my room watching me even as I go to sleep at night. And he said, and to top it off, he said, the food's horrible. Right? Now, that was his experience. And his experience framed uh, his expectation. The danger though is, now his experience is framing my expectation. So I'm now getting on the plane going, what on earth did I sign up for? And so I get on the plane and listen, without exaggerating, I had one of the best trips of my life. Yeah, it was hot. But it was wonderful. You know, it's freezing here, so even in the summer. So it was wonderful. Had a, the food was amazing. The people were absolutely colossal. The church experience I had there was stunning. Uh, yes, we, we probably did stay in a government, a government hotel, and the girls on reception were probably secret agents who could kill me in 17 languages. <laughs> I, I, I prob- I, that probably happened. But it was an amazing trip. Although I have to say, I did get changed in the dark, just in case there were cameras in my room. Um, you know, didn't want that appearing on YouTube or anything, you know, leaked out. But, but the point is this, right? Someone else's experience threatened to limit my expectation. That happens a lot in life. Kind of said, even happens a lot in church. That if we're not careful, we allow what other people have experienced to then frame what we expect or want or do. And, and just imagine this idea, right? Just, just imagine this. What if the woman that night had followed Simon's lead? After all, he's the expert. He's the Bible scholar. He's the religious one. He knows the Torah off by heart. He can recite Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy off by heart. Imagine if she had have said, well, he's the expert, I'll follow him. This story would never have been written. Yes? Now listen, I'm not asking you to be cynical or critical, or I'm not asking you to, to, to ignore the, the, the godly uh, advice and example of people around you. But what I am saying is this. Sometimes, uh, in order to be extravagant, you're going to have to cut a new line. You're going to have to take a new step. If, if, you, if you settle on the experience and expectations of others for your level of extravagance, then you may not be as extravagant as you could be. I remember my, my father telling me the story when he bought the first house. He, he was the first Christian in his family. Uh, an incredible God moment that broke into his world and changed the whole direction of our family line. First Christian in his family. Uh, and he felt God speak to him to buy his own house. 
right? Now, that doesn't sound like surprising at all for us today, but back then, in, in the sort of 1960-61, uh, that was still a, a bit of a challenge for the world my father grew up in, in Belfast. And my father's background, everyone was a renter. Nobody owned property. Not one person in my father's family owned a property, right? And my dad decided that he would buy a property. And he borrowed, listen, you're going to be shocked, borrowed 350 pounds. Makes you cry now, doesn't it? 350 pounds to buy a four-bedroom house in Belfast. I mean, you can't even get a solicitor's letter for 350 pounds now to buy a house. Crying out loud. And my grandfather went bananas. My grandfather said to my dad, you're going into all that debt. What if you can't pay your bills? Now, the irony was my dad was paying less on a mortgage than he was paying for rent. But my grandfather couldn't see that. He just saw the debt. And here's my father. Here's how he tried to articulate it to his father. I'm investing into the future. This is not about today. This is about tomorrow. I, I'm, but, but my father had to literally break the lid of someone else's expectation and experience to create a new normal, to create a new extravagant. And, and here's the incredible thing. All my father's children own property. You know, we, we're, we're all, in fact, some of us own more than one property. Incredible. He, he took a step, 350 quid. But for him, that was like bursting out. Because no one had ever done that before. And he created a new normal that then subsequent generations have rushed into and received the benefits. So some of you, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You've literally experienced the same thing. Now, when it comes to serving Jesus, it can be the same thing. Listen, listen if you're going to take your lead, take it from people of extravagance. Don't take your lead from crusty, miserable people. I'm serious. You want to be an extravagant person. You've got to rub shoulders with extravagant people. Now, I don't mean, I don't mean elitist. I don't mean only be friends with, with certain... What I mean is learn from that attitude. If you want to learn about extravagance, don't get around people who are selfish and miserable and stingy, who are living, as we heard today, in the tombs of the past. That's not going to help you be extravagant. You want to get it. And here's the thing you start getting around extravagant people, it really does rub off. It either rubs off or it rubs you out. You know, it's one of the two. You either join in or you get lost. So, isn't that true? Phil, is it, am I, honestly, when, I, when you get around extravagant people, you've either got to you either catch it or, or it pushes you away. You can't hang around that and not change. And that's why I love being around people who love Jesus passionately. I, I, listen, I, 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 missionally, that's reach out to our world, absolutely. But I'm talking now about as a disciple of Jesus, I want to be around people who love Jesus passionately. Yes. Who don't balk at extravagance, but applaud it. Yes. Hallelujah. Come on. So listen, what if the woman had... Now, let, let me say this. Just because Simon hadn't been doesn't mean she couldn't go. And boy, did she go. 
And what she did that night freaked Simon out because Simon had never... Listen, one of the reasons Simon's freaked out is because he's never seen this sort of heart passion. Oh, he knows the law. He knows every jot, every tittle. He knows every nuance of the text. But that passion, you can't manufacture that passion. You can't make that up. You can't magic that out of thin air. That is there or it's not. And actually, when he looked at that woman that night, he saw a passion he didn't have. And it's interesting, when the moment Jesus asks him about the two, the two debtors, and he says, I suppose, from that moment on, he shuts up. He never says another word. Because you can't. It's hard to argue with extravagance. Come on, are you with me? All right, here's the third thing, really, really quickly, just watching the time, so oh, make sure we're okay. It's gone again. Okay, here's, here's the third one. It might come up on the screen. Okay, it's there. So, no. Okay. Uh, when our, here's the third thing. When our offering is about giving, not getting. When our offering is about giving, not getting. Okay? Jesus in Luke chapter 6, in, the, in a climactic moment to a period of teaching, here's what he says. He says, give and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together and running over. That verse is one of, can I say this carefully, it's one of the most abused verses in the ministry of, of Jesus. Okay? Because actually, what we've made Jesus say is this. If you give some money, God will give that back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, run over. Now, the principle of that, I have no problem with. But actually, when you dig in to the passage that Jesus refers to, there's a, it's, it's a little bit more tricky. Earlier on in the passage, Jesus says this. If you love those who love you, what good is that to you? Even pagans do that. If you only give to those or lend to those who are going to pay you back, he says this, what credit is that to you? Now, what's going on there? Actually, if you read Luke chapter 6, verse 36, give and it will be given to you, it sounds like Jesus is saying, give to God and God will give you back, but he'll give you more. Right? But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is actually saying this. He said, catch the spirit of your father. Your father doesn't just give to people who are good and who will give back. He gives to people who are bad, even if they don't acknowledge him. Catch the spirit of your father. He doesn't just lend to those who are going to pay because they're good for it. He lends to those, he gives to those who he knows aren't going to pay. In fact, in the passage, Jesus says, be merciful as your father is merciful. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying, actually, I want you to give with the expectation of getting something back, but, but be extravagant. Give in such a way that you're moving beyond, now listen to me carefully, you are moving beyond the idea of receiving something or return to the idea of reward. Okay, now let me explain this. It sounds like I'm saying the same thing, but actually it's different. You see, return is what Jesus is hitting at. Here's what he's saying. He's speaking to the crowd and he says, many of you give to those who are going to give back. It's called reciprocity. So here's what happens. Emma's really nice. Emma likes me. I like Emma. So giving to Emma is a safe bet. That if I give to Emma, she's going eventually to give me something back. So if I invite Emma 
to dinner with Phil, of course. I wouldn't invite just Emma, not Phil. If I invite Emma and Phil to dinner, here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to get a return invite. Okay. And we'll, have, we'll sit in the deck chair in the garden. And, uh, and we'll enjoy the sun and, and have some great dinner. Now, now, Jesus is saying, that's a no-brainer. That's like, and? What do you want? A medal? That's just no. See, see, here's, here's what Jesus said. To ram the point home, he says, even pagans do that. You don't need to be spiritual or faith-filled to do that. That's just normal human behavior. What makes you different, which gets the attention of God, which opens you up to not just return, but reward, is when I give in such a way that there is no expectation of return. Are you with me? Because return is what I want, whereas reward is what God gives. Or or, or let me put it another way for you. Return is about me. So when I'm inviting Emma and Phil, I'm really thinking about me. Now, I know no one's done that in this room. It's only me that does stuff like that. But but here's, here's, what, here's what Jesus is saying. If I invited a complete stranger who, who you know, has nothing to do with me but brought them into my home, when there's no expectation that they're going to invite me back and do the same to me, actually Jesus says, that's you crossing the line. You're now into God-type giving. Now, now don't hear me wrong. There's nothing wrong with inviting Emma and Phil to dinner uh, because they're lovely people. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's, Jesus is challenging the mentality of reciprocity. He's, he's challenging this idea. If you only give to get, you're not yet entering into the mentality of extravagance of the kingdom of God. A sign that you have become extravagant is that you give when there is no possibility of return. So here's what you do. I invite someone into my world or I give something to them and I know they're never going to pay me back for that gift. So what am I doing? I'm leaving the reward to God. I'm saying, it doesn't matter if I get something back from Phil or not. I'm going to leave that with you. And actually Jesus says, that's what opens you up to more. If you only give to those who give back to you, you limit the return. If you're prepared to step across the line and give stuff away without an expectation of return, you open up the possibility that the God of heaven will give you a reward that is greater than the normal return. Hence, Jesus says, give like this, not like the pagans. Give like God, and he will give it back to you. Pressed down, shaking together, running over. So I'm not just sticking 10 quid in the offering and thinking, come on, 100 quid, baby. 100 quid, baby. Come on, let's have it. Boom. No, no, no. That's not what's going on. I'm sticking 10 quid in and just thinking, Lord, I'm leaving the reward to you. And in fact, if I don't get a reward or a return, I'm still going to give the 10 quid because it's the right thing to do. This woman offers expensive offerings to Jesus worth potentially a year's salary if we compare it to the other story in the Gospels. Worth it. And she never wants us for anything. 
She's not turning up thinking, if I give my bottle of perfume, I could open a whole store of perfume shops. This could just go platinum. Jesus blesses me, and I just open up the, come on, baby. No, no, no. She's giving her perfume to him because he's worth it. There's no clause. There's no caveat. There's no small print. There's no, I wonder what I'm going to get back for this. She's giving it away, and she's trusting if there is going to be a return, the return will come from God alone, and she will live in that reward. Now, when we do that, we're entering into something much bigger. And lots of people settle for the return and never enter the reward. Now, I'm not trying to get your money out of you. It's not about money. In fact, Luke 6 is not about money. It's about a mentality of generosity that is extravagant, a mentality that goes beyond the normal lines. The normal line is, I give to people who like me, and they give it back. That's normal. The new normal is, I'll give stuff away, knowing that I'll probably not get it back from them. But I'll get it back, possibly, in this life or the life to come, from him. Are you with me? So extravagance takes us from the small world of return to the limitless world of reward. That's what's happening here with this woman. This is not about return. She's not interested in return. She's just interested in blessing Jesus. And if you can get into your heart, and I can get into my heart, a mentality that says, that's just cross lines and bless the world in the name of the Lord. That's just do stuff that will bring honor and glory to his name, even if I know the minute I cut this check or the minute I step out and serve or the minute I give myself to that individual, I know I'm not going to get it back. But I'll do it anyway, and I'll trust my God in heaven to take care of any pressed down, shaken together, and running over bits. It sets you free. And can I say this really carefully and without offending anybody? It stops us turning God into an ATM because he's not. Well, I, I put my money in and I pressed the right buttons and nothing came out. Well, that's because we're trying to reduce God to us. That's just, that, that's not extravagance. God won't be used like that. And, and the problem with God, if I can say this really carefully, he knows what's going on inside of us. So actually, he's not looking for the, he's not looking at the, the amount, he's not looking at the offering, he's looking at the attitude. It's the attitude that opens us up to this. The woman who gave two small coins that weren't worth squat. Jesus says she's given more than anybody. And it was noted by God. Why? Because he's not looking at the amount necessarily. He's looking at the attitudinal driver. Pushes that along. Are you with me? All right. Okay. Nearly done. And then you can go and sit in the sun. All right. Here's the last one. And we're nearly there. Is that okay? Another five minutes or so. And we are finished. Okay, so here's the last we think. We cross the line, create a new normal, a new extravagant normal, when what he wants is more important than how we look. That night, it all looked a bit weird. Socially, culturally, this was awkward. This is, your buttocks are quenching together uh, at this moment because, because this, is, this, is, this is culturally horrible. It is culturally horrible. Now, 21st century, we're, we're standing back from it in a Western context, and we're sort of, it's a lovely story. This was awkward city in Simon's world. This is, this is horrible, because it's everything that's not supposed to happen. 
in that world. She is in the house of a Pharisee, who's, and Pharisee literally means separated one. So in other words, you know, these guys used to put filters on top of their wine glasses so that when they poured the wine from the jug to the cup, they, they, they strained out the gnats because they didn't want their wine defiled when it went in. That's how serious they were about separation. So a woman like this touching anything in Simon's house, I mean, he'd be going around with disinfectant for the next 10 days, just where is she? And the problem was that perfume, it got everywhere. Every time Simon got up, smell that woman everywhere in, in my world. It, it would have freaked him out. I mean, seriously freaked him out. All right? If she had have thought about, now hear me carefully, if she had have thought about him, she wouldn't have done this. But actually, she was consumed by Jesus. I don't know if, is, is the camera coming up again? I've, I've got a wee picture for you. It'll come up now. All right, so it's on there. So it'll come up in a wee minute if the, if the camera kicks on. But there, there, there we are. It's coming back on. Wonderful. Now, uh, this is one of my favorite pictures of this. I don't know if this is what it looked like, but this is an artist's impression of that night. And I love this picture. I have this made into a canvas, and it hangs uh, in my home to remind me of what's really important. And if you look at this picture, it's absolutely immense. I mean, you know, there's a big foot there. Why, why would you kiss anybody's foot? There's only, you know, two reasons you're going to kiss feet, love or money, isn't it? And the irony is, the terrible irony, she may have kissed feet for money, if the scholars are to be believed. But that night she kissed feet for love. Not as a prostitute, but as a worshiper. It looks gaudy. It looks disgusting. It looks uncomfortable. And yet it's absolutely pure worship. Pure worship. Pure worship. This is a moment of pure worship. And look at her face. She is completely, the artist has got this right. She's consumed. So consumed that his feet are enough. She's not kissing his head or kissing his hands are kissing his face, she's kissing his feet. And Dr. Luke uses this phrase, katafileo, three times in his corpus. Three times he uses this. The, the first time is in chapter 7. The second time is in chapter 15, when the father runs to the son, the prodigal, we call him, and kisses him incessantly. Same phrase. And then he uses it again in Acts chapter 20 when the elders gather around Paul and kiss Paul continuously. Now, I think Dr. Luke's really clever here because he uses this phrase three times to incessantly and consistently and relentlessly kiss. And two out of the three times, it's men doing the kissing. Why is that? Because he's trying to show us this is not emotion. This is not feminine. This is not a woman thing. This is a worship thing. Come on. It's not, a, it's not a woman thing. So men in the room are put off by this. This is a worship thing. That's why it's attractive. That's why it's glorious and amazing and extravagant. Because when I look at that, I'm not looking at a woman kissing the feet of Jesus. I'm looking at a worshiper kissing the feet of Jesus. And something within me leaps to this. And I say, I want to be like that. That's what I want to be. That's how I want to live. I want Jesus to know this, that I love him so much that I am prepared if it's all I can get to do to kiss his feet, I'll do it. Because 
He's immense. He's amazing. And he is glorious. Can I, do you know, let me say this to you. Extravagance will always look weird and unseemly to those who don't get it. young woman prayed a prayer and an old crusty prophet thought she was drunk. And he criticized her for being drunk and her prayer changed her nation. Got to be careful, haven't we? A man danced in his linen ephod, his undergarment, danced so wildly that his wife looked out of the window and thought he was disgusting. That's the strength of the word. Vulgar and disgusting. And yet, that dance was ushering in the presence of God. Got to be careful, haven't we? Young woman, probably 13, 14, got pregnant. Told her betrothed, God did it. And he was going to divorce her quietly because God doesn't get girls pregnant. Men do. And yet... And baby changed the world. Ladies and gentlemen, here's, we've got to be careful not to judge the extravagance of others. Just be careful. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not right. Just because you wouldn't do it doesn't mean it's not cool. Just because you wouldn't dance like that doesn't mean it's not right to do that. Now, we'll have to be careful. As Christians, we have to be aware of our behavior. But, but if you had have walked into that world as a Jewish person, first century male, you would have judged this woman as vulgar, disgusting, and filthy. And yet Jesus says, this action is an expression of her great love for me because her sin has been expunged, canceled. The debt that she could not pay has been paid Look at how, how Luke puts it beautifully in this. Therefore, her many sins have already, that's the tense, have already been forgiven as her great love has shown. What do your actions show? When my wife-to-be first met my mother and father, I was a bit nervous. And afterwards, we reflected together, and I said to her, what did you think? And apart from the fact she couldn't really understand the father with his accent, um, she said to me, here's what she said. This was her first comment about my mother and father. She said this, your dad really loves your mom. That was her first comment. Of all the things I expected my wife to be to say about my mom and dad, that was not it. She said, your dad really... I said, what do you mean? She said... I watched him. I listened to him. I noticed the way he looks at her. He absolutely adores her. What's the point, John? The point is this. His actions gave away his heart. Ladies and gentlemen, whatever you think of this story, if many of you have gone back in a time machine and looked at the people in that room, actions are giving it away. From the actions, not the words. It's interesting, Simon speaks, Jesus speaks, his guests speak. She's the only one not speaking. And yet, she's the loudest voice in the room, potentially. If you'd, you and me had gone, gone back, the actions give her away. And what do the actions give away? A woman who has been transformed. Let me leave you with this thought. If we love, 
as we have been forgiven, then extravagance will be our new normal. And if you and I fully understand what he has done for us, how much he has stepped over the line for us, if we just get a bit of that, not even the whole thing, I think the whole thing would blow our brains out, but if we just caught a wee bit of that even, that leaves me without excuse to step over the line for him. My favorite hymn, leave you with this as we pray, is a hymn by a man called Isaac Newton, and he said this, when I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt in all my pride. And then he goes on to say this. The final verse says this. Were the whole realm of nature mine, it would be an offering far too small. Why? Why? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. If we will understand what he has done for us, extravagance will be the new normal. If we can grasp how far he stepped over the line for each one of us, then when he calls us to step over the line, it's a little bit easier to do. That, that night, that woman created a new normal. There was a just enough line. But that night, she stepped over the line and created a more than enough line. Do you know, I think that's what the Lord's after. Whatever that, it looked different for each one of us, but he's after that from us. He's looking at a heart that's saying more than enough, not just just enough. And if we can do that, I believe we can live extravagant lives that will enrich our world, enrich this church, enrich ourselves. Because that's the heart of God. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless, and goodbye.